As we get ready to receive the word, it's a great honor for me to introduce a man who has been so influential in my personal life for me and my wife. Uh, like I said many years ago, Dr. Graham Cato and his wife Marie made a connection with our pastors. And some of you may remember that this has been some time ago. And there were people that went from Oklahoma City to Africa to experience the amazing church, the work of the Lord that was being done there in Pretoria. Dr. Graham and his wife Marie were a major, major part of what God was doing, not only in that church, but in the nation of South Africa at large. And so he is a very wise man, a very smart man, but I will say this, that um, the impact that he has made on my life is the compassion of the Lord that he has shown and his willingness to be used in whatever way that the Lord desires. And so would you please help me welcome and show honor to Dr. Graham Cato this morning. Thank you very much for that warm welcome. And it's uh, not the first time to experience such a warm welcome. It's such a privilege for my wife and I to be here with you, with this family. Uh, we've been walking together with your pastors, uh, Pastor Bishop and Kathy, for probably 12, 13 years. But with this family for nine years, we moved from South Africa to the U.S. five years ago. Our first stop was the gate and uh, it's been wonderful to walk with you and uh, appreciate the connection we have with this family with Jordan and Holly and the team around LTS what a profound and wonderful team we work with we've just heard some testimonies of what the Lord's done I wonder if we can have the leaders of the LTS stand those who were part of facilitating the freedom we've talked about let's give them a round of applause Thank you so much for all you've done. We're talking in the matter of Christianity light and felt that it would be important for us to consider the whole matter of what God has for us in the ages that are yet to come. This life we're living is just training for reigning in the future. What is more important, time or eternity? Don't answer, it's a trick question. What is more important, time or eternity? The answer is they are both important because what we do in time determines what happens in eternity. And most in here have come to a wonderful place of recognizing the love of the Lord, his love demonstrated through his death on the cross. They've accepted the death of the Lord for us and they've been born again. And now their eternal destiny is settled, which is wonderful. But there's much more to eternity than what we're talking about. It's wonderful that we can be settled and... Uh, I wonder if I can have the binoculars here. 
Thank you very much. I'd like to invite you to join me this morning on a safari. I noted that the worship team, three of them were dressed in camouflage and safari jackets. <clears throat> and I think we're due for an exciting journey on a safari with Father God. How does that sound? A safari into eternity. Eternity feels far in the distance. Binoculars help us to bring what's far away closer. And as we look into eternity, what do we see? We don't have a mystery about eternity because we have the binoculars of the Word of God, which tell us what we can expect. We've already experienced the faithful promise of our Father that as we bow the knee to Jesus, become like little children, accept his forgiveness, we will be born again and our lives will change. How many have experienced significant change as you were born again? That your life is not the same as it was. There is huge difference in change. And he's proved his faithfulness to us already. And so as we go on this safari and uh, begin looking around, seeing what we can look for, suddenly we're startled because here next to us is a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's with us already. We've been singing about the fact that there's power that he has, that he's with us. And the fact is, eternity has already begun. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says that this is eternal life, that we would know and experience the one true God who is a father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And we are already experiencing that. We just had testimony up front here and we have the testimony of your lives. And so we have this wonderful God and a wonderful eternity that's lying ahead for us. As we travel with the Father, that travel is marked by his presence and the wonder of who he is. A huge mark of the character of God is his generosity. He is a generous, generous God. We're wanting to focus on the generosity of the everlasting Father. He's not just our Father today. He's planning for us to have Him as Father forever, living in His family with Jesus as our brother and brothers and sisters that are here. Just look to those in your right and left and you can say, this is forever. I hope that's good news. I hope it's good news. Our everlasting Father who is generous has given us a universe, given us our life, given us abundant trees. He likes to give gifts, doesn't he? And so we want to talk a little bit about the gifts that he gives. A gift comes 
as a result of the heart of the giver. The giver pays the price for the gift, doesn't he? Yeah? It reflects the heart of the giver. And we've already received a whole bunch of gifts. Gifts that he promised he would give and now has delivered. What's an appropriate response to a gift? Thankfulness? How about joy? When uh, our son was about six, it was his birthday. Uh, we got him a BMX bicycle as a surprise, put it on the porch. We had breakfast together inside. He didn't know what was coming. After breakfast, we said, let's go on the porch and look at the sunrise. Our daughter ran ahead because she was interested. And she saw the bike and she said, it's a bike, it's a bike, it's a bike. Joy is a good response to a gift. And as I mention the gifts God has given to us, I trust our response will be one of thankfulness and joy. How about the gift of salvation? The gift of his righteousness. The justification that's a gift. The gift of eternal life. These are gifts that come from him. The gift of his son. Whoa! In Romans 8 it says, <laughs> If I gave you my son, what would I keep from you? Would I not together with him give you everything? Our Father intends for us to inherit the kingdom of God forever. Together with his son, he's given us Ability, the right to inherit the kingdom. The gift of his Holy Spirit. The gift of grace and mercy. He's given us, all of us, spread aboard, abroad, gifts for each and every one. These all come from him out of his generosity. A preacher one day was waiting to preach and there was a soloist singing in the church. <laughs> He said to the Lord, the preacher, Lord, I want that gift. Lord said to him, I've given you that gift. He said, Lord, is there something wrong with your ears? The Lord said, no, I've given you that gift in your brother. Enjoy it. We are gifts to one another. Each and every one has incredible value. God made them the way he likes them and they are gifts. We're a body together, each one with different gifts operating together as the body of Christ. We're not in competition. We're supporting one another. And so the response is thankfulness and joy. In Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about a gift, verse 8. Do we have it up here? Yeah. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Salvation is a gift. But, of course, the Scripture doesn't end there. It goes on to say, For we are God's workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us. And so while it's wonderful to have gifts from the Lord, and he's given us gifts to use, he now intends for us to work. Some people think work is a curse. I know it's a four-letter word, but God worked in the garden, and he's not under any curse. He's still working today. Jesus says, it's not me doing the work. It's the Father working through me. And so work is part of being made in the image of God. And so we're not saved by works, but we are saved to work. Not so many amens for that one. <laughs> we are saved to work. And the Lord has prepared good works in advance for us to do. It's important that on this day, called Labor Day, that we talk about work. That we have a biblical view of work, the work of the Father, the, the understanding of the Father about work. Jesus came and he did the Father's work when he was on earth. And he's our model and so we're to follow his example and do the works that he's called us to do. You know already that we are saved by faith, saved by grace through faith, not by works. Yes, we are saved that way, but we are called to work and the work is important. We are called to be co-workers with the Lord, ambassadors with him. And the everlasting father with whom we're on the safari wants to show us how these works work. He wants to reward us for the works that we do. Because he is so generous, he intends not just to give us gifts that he's paid for, that he gives because he loves us. He's also wanting to reward us for the works we do. Because he is so generous. He doesn't just give gifts. He has in mind to reward us for doing the work he's called us to do. He rewarded Jesus for the work that Jesus did. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy of you and I being with him forever. There was a reward for Jesus. And God intends for us to have a reward. There are scriptures right through the Bible from Old Testament to New. I'm going to read the last one that is here, but you can find similar scriptures in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Matthew, Ephesians, Colossians, and Revelation. This is what Jesus says in Revelation. I am coming soon and my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Did he deliver the salvation he promised? Will he deliver the rewards he's promised? 
Our lives have changed already as a result of the gifts he's given, but our lives eternally are going to change when he gives us those rewards for the work that we have done that he called us to do. The rewards are given for work. I worked for a time for a research organization around Christmas time. Some of the ladies were purchasing presents for everybody on staff. They came to me and said, these two guys are not doing the work they're supposed to do. Should we buy them Christmas presents? I said to them, well, it depends on whether you're buying gifts or giving rewards. If they are gifts, it doesn't matter whether they've done the work or not. But if what you're buying is a reward, you can't give them the present. They bought them the present because it was a gift. But there are rewards for us for doing what the Lord called us to do. And he's wanting to ensure we get them. When do we get these rewards? We get them after we have died. There's a bad word, died. Except it's no longer a bad word because the scripture says, where, O oh death, is your sting? Where is your victory? Because Jesus has defeated death. And now that we've entered eternity already through salvation, death is just an incident on the way. There's no longer a need to fear death. Jesus has gone ahead and come out the other side as to give us confidence that the same thing is going to happen to us. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it tells us what happens when we die. Perhaps you know, but here's the truth. When you die... Your body stops operating. And if you've made good arrangements, your friends and family will bury you. <laughs> or do the appropriate cremation and deal with the ashes. Is that right? But at the moment of death, you've got to be with the Lord immediately. In that scripture I mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, If I'm away from the body, I'm with the Lord. If I'm with the Lord, I'm away from the body. There's only two places we can be, either in the body or with the Lord. And so when our bodies are buried, or when, it, when we die before our bodies are buried, we're with the Lord. Our spirits and souls are there, and our bodies are buried. Our spirits and souls go to be with the Lord, and we stay there until the Lord returns. Right now, there's a crowd in the heavens. Can I mention a few people who are there? How about Abraham? How about David and Esther and Deborah? How about Isaiah? There's a whole bunch of people. John the Baptist think he might be there? And so when we die, we're going to meet some people that we've read about. Friends and family who have died in the Lord will be there. There'll be a crowd. And the crowd will be there. We'll be there with the Lord until the Lord returns on that great day. What great day? The day he returns. 
It's going to be a great and awful day. A great day for believers, an awful day for those who aren't believers. But he's coming someday. Maybe it's tonight. Or maybe it's a thousand years from now. We just don't know. But we're to be ready whenever he comes. But here's what it says in the scriptures about that return in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So when Jesus comes back, he's not coming on his own. I hope you like crowds. Because when he comes, he's not coming alone. He's coming with everybody who has died in him. The angels are coming with. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive when he returns, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The change of our bodies will wait until everybody's come. All right. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. On that day when Jesus returns with those spirits and souls of those who've died, I'd like to be in the cemetery if I'm still alive. The Greek word for cemetery is koimaterion, the place where people sleep. And on that day, they're going to wake up. Those graves are going to open and the people are going to come out. Because their spirits and souls are going to go into their dead bodies. Those bodies are going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And they're going to come out with their spiritual bodies. Do you see that? All right. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord. The scripture says in Corinthians, we who are alive, our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We'll join the crowds with the Lord in the clouds and go with him to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, some people, when you talk about the judgment seat of Christ, they ooh, that's terrible. But Paul, as he writes, constantly speaks about running a race and getting a prize. That judgment seat is a bema in the Greek. It's a place where you go at the Olympic Games to get your, to get your medal, to get your award, to get your reward. And so it says... We'll go to the clouds to meet the Lord and we will be with the Lord forever. Encourage one another with these words. As we're on this safari, we can see a day that's coming when Jesus will return. If we're with him, we come with him. If we're not, 
will be changed immediately and then be with him and those who have died in the Lord together in our spiritual bodies and go to that judgment seat of Christ to receive the rewards that God has for us for the works that we have done. Are you okay? I hope you're looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ. God is. Romans 8, 28, he's working all things together for good for those who are called by his name because he's wanting to be sure you get your full reward. He's working all things together because he has those rewards for you. The rewards are already there with your names on them, ready to give to you. Nobody can prevent you from getting your rewards. Neither the devil, your friends, your enemies, your family, only one person can prevent you from getting your reward. You. You okay? God has a good works for us to do. And he's called us all to do different works. And so we look forward to that judgment seat. The scripture says in Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Yes, all of us have a race marked out for us, specifically for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He began the work and he is perfecting it, leading us by his spirit day by day to do the good works that were prepared for us. I'd like for us to take seriously the atmosphere at the judgment seat of Christ. As we look through the binoculars on the safari, we can look at 2 Timothy chapter 8. Sorry, chapter 4 and verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul's coming to the end of his life, the end of his ministry, and he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. Listen to this. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, that judgment day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. We can also look in Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 18. It says here, you have not come. This is what the atmosphere at the judgment seat is not like. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying, Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Verse 19. 
the writer of the Hebrews is saying, judgment seat is not like that. Then it goes on in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Do you hear the atmosphere? Joyful angels, a judge who wants to give awards. God is working all things together for good to ensure that on that day you get the award reward that he intends for you to have. It's his heart. And so as we're on the safari, the Lord wants to make it clear. I have rewards for you. What are those rewards? Paul in Timothy has already said it's going to be a crown. We're not so used to crowns in a democracy. But it's a mark of authority. The rewards we're going to get are crowns of authority. God is intending us to have authority in the kingdom of God in the ages that are yet to come as we rule and reign with him. In Luke 19, it says, I'm going to give you cities to rule over. How's that sound? Sounds like work. And work is a blessing. And the Lord's intending us to rule and reign in his character. That's why he's changing us in this life to be more and more like him. So we can rule and reign his way in the ages that are yet to come. It also says in these scriptures that those who are faithful in little in this life will be faithful with much in the ages that are yet to come. If we are faithful with the little we have, it's a sign we will be faithful with the responsibilities given us in the ages yet to come. So what is he going to reward us for? For doing what he directs us to do. Jesus only did what he saw his father do. Only spoke what he heard his father say. And he said the words the way the Father wanted him to say them. Rewards for showing compassion to the vulnerable. Rewards for showing hospitality without grumbling. Help us, Lord. <laughs> Rewards for serving wholeheartedly in the job we presently have as if we were serving the Lord, not men and women. How's it going in your job? Are you serving in that position as if you were serving the Lord? Because if we do, there's a reward. You are the light of the world. Where you are presently working, you are a light that's supposed to shine. And as we serve wholeheartedly in whatever we're doing, there's a reward. Enduring through pressure, there's a reward. 
Giving in secret, there's a reward. Prayer and fasting in secret, there's a reward. Bearing insults and persecution in his name, there's a reward. There's a reward for giving a cup of water to somebody who needs it. And so there are small works he calls us to do and large works. But he's prepared good works in advance for us to do. Do we know? <laughs> There's a reward for greeting a stranger. What good is it if you greet only your brothers? Even the pagans greet only their brothers. But the Lord is wanting us to let the light shine, to connect with those who are strangers. To love those who are our enemies, there's a reward. And so, as we are on the safari and looking into the future, what we're doing in time is going to have an effect in eternity. The Lord is looking forward to giving us those rewards, but this is the opportunity. We should work while it is day, because the time is coming when it will be night and no man can work. But the Lord is wanting to reward us for that which we do in the day. And so as we consider going to the judgment seat of Christ to receive our reward, how will the Lord assess our rewards? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, come up on the board now, talks about how we'll be assessed for our awards, rewards. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's born again people who get rewards. If Christ is the foundation of your life, you're eligible for rewards. And of course, that's us. There's no judgment for heaven or hell that's going to happen to us as believers. The judgment has already happened at the cross if we accept that Christ took our judgment on him. For sins past, present, and future, there's no judgment for heaven or hell. The judgment is for reward. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day... The day of judgment will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Say after me, quality. quality. Not quantity. That's good news for the West. Hello? Say it again. Quality. The quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives the fire, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Are we okay? Real faith leads to work. And the work God wants because he is generous, he wants to give the rewards. And he is the one who decides what the reward will be, authority in the next life, and the extent of the reward is his decision. But he assigns it because he is faithful, loving, and just. When all of the awards have given out, everybody will agree. That's the way it should have been. 
Nobody's going to argue with the Lord. Everybody will see it's the right way. So our works on the judgment day are going to be tested with fire. If we've built with gold, silver, and precious stones, we get a reward. If we've built with wood, hay, and stubble, no reward. We get to be with the Lord, but no reward. This is good news. <laughs> are you okay? The Lord is set it up so we will get a reward. It'll be related to the work we have done and how we've done it. And so how will the Lord measure our works? I want to give three criteria. Firstly, if we've done what he asked us to do, we get a reward. If we've done what we wanted to do, no reward. Does this sound fair? It's the way it works now. If I'm employed by Nashua to sell photocopiers, and the first month I'm working for Nashua, I go to their head office and I see that their headquarter gardens are a mess. And I spend the first month that I'm employed by Nashua fixing up their gardens, and I sell no photocopiers, are they going to pay me? No, they're not. Kingdom of God works the same. If you do what God asks you to do, you get a reward. If you do what you want to do, no reward. Is he just? Is he fair? Second criterion. If in the work we do, we draw attention to God and his kingdom, we get a reward. If in the work we do, we draw attention to ourselves, do we get a reward? We already got our reward. We got the attention. And so if, if I'm working for Nashua in their advertising department and I advertise Nashua, do they pay me? If I'm working for Nashua and I advertise myself, will they pay me? Kingdom of God works as simple as that. Third criterion for good works. Works that get a reward. If the work I'm doing for the Lord, I do in his strength, I get a reward. If I do it in my strength and my sweaty efforts, no reward. Because God is a fair employer. He doesn't want us using our sweaty efforts for his kingdom. He provides the, he provides the strength. Yes? Are you okay? That's why it says in the Bible, there's a Sabbath rest for God's people because if you enter the Sabbath rest, you rest from your own works, just like God does from his. And so we're called to flow in the leading of the Spirit, doing what he calls us to do not putting in our sweaty efforts to make it work. So if we've done what he asked us to do, drawing attention to his kingdom and doing it in his strength, we get a reward. If we're doing what we want to do, drawing attention to ourselves in our efforts to prove that we can do something, no reward. And so here's the good news. Relax. Just do whatever he asks you to do. 
draw attention to his kingdom and allow him to flow through you. You aren't competing with the person next to you. You don't get more reward for doing more work that you want to do. You get reward for doing the work he wants you to do. Jesus was clear. I came only to the lost children of Israel. He didn't come to save Rome when he came. He had a clear assignment and God has a clear assignment for you and I. And so he's looking forward to getting us that reward. So on that day, as we have now had our bodies changed into spiritual bodies, we go with him to the judgment seat of Christ. The angels are there. It's a party atmosphere. God's looking forward to giving out the rewards. And as he does, he gives them out. There's, there's, there's this person's name and he gives to her. This person's name and he gives to them. And everybody's cheering. People got the rewards they should have. There comes a little old lady and she gets this huge reward. And you think, I saw that lady in our church. How come she gets such a big reward? She did everything God asked her to do. She prayed in secret, helped the vulnerable, didn't make a big thing about it. Whatever she was asked to do, she did. Are we okay? And then perhaps on that day, there's a well-known preacher and God takes the reward and it's a little reward. Lord, why such a little reward? Because it was all his idea to draw attention to him and his ministry and in his sweaty efforts trying to prove something. And so he got what he worked for. Are you okay? Because God knows everything. He knows what happens in secret. He knows the motives of our heart, what's going on in our heads. And he wants us to have these rewards so we can relax. Yes, just do what he directs us to do. I know a particular award, I think, that's going to happen. It's, a, it's an award to Reinhard Bonke. Reinhard was asked by the Lord, Reinhardt, print for me a gospel tract for every home in England. Lord, that's strange. You called me to Africa. Now you want me to print a tract for every home in England? Yes, Reinhardt. Okay. He found it very easy to raise the money, about a million euros, to print a gospel tract for every home in England. Distributed it. Did what the Lord asked. And then he went back to the Lord and said, Lord, I still don't understand. Why would you have me called to Africa, print a gospel tract for every home in England? And the Lord said, Reinhardt, I asked two people before I asked you, and they both said no. So on that day, when all of the awards have been given out, there are going to be some awards still left on the shelf because there's some work the people who were supposed to do didn't do. And then the Lord's going to take the one for printing the gospel tract and give it to Reinhardt, saying, thank you, Reinhardt. You did what I asked you to do. 
Because for him who has much, more will be given. Those who show themselves in this life faithful to do everything the Lord asks, drawing attention to him in his strength, can be trusted in the kingdom to come to do everything the Lord asks them to do. And so the Lord is looking forward <laughs> to being with us. In the ages that are yet to come. This life is about settling who's in and who's going to cooperate and who's going to do what the Father asks. Enjoying the time with him. Enjoying whatever he asks us to do. And so... Perhaps now as we talk about that, remember it's a celebration. That's the judgment seat of Christ to get our rewards, to get crowns of authority, to rule and reign with him in the ages that are yet to come. Yeah? It's a celebration time. Now some may be wondering, must I change what I'm presently doing? So here's good news from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Do not change what you're presently doing. Stay doing what you're doing. Do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. The only reason to change what you're presently doing is if God tells you to change. I'm going to say it again, I can tell. <laughs> Don't change what you're presently doing. Do what you're presently doing with all of your heart as unto the Lord. And if the Lord tells you to change, then change. There's only one reason to change what you're presently doing. And that's if God says change. Because that's how we're called to live our life. Doing what he directs us to do. Let's settle to run the race marked out for us. It's a race marked out for us personally. Good works prepared in advance for us to do doing what he's called us to do. There's a prize at the end of the race. Now, as we've been on the safari, I trust that you've been encouraged, that there's a clarity about what happens at death, about what happens to our bodies in the grave as they're resurrected, and we go with Jesus to that great day of celebration, and we enter in... <laughs> To the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're married to Jesus. Rule and reign with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the ages that are yet to come. Sons and daughters of the living God. What a future. And he's excited about you. The reason he made you is he wanted you with him forever. And there may be some here who are hearing this message for the first time. Hearing the idea that your eternity can be settled because Jesus died to pay for whatever we've done wrong, past, present, and future. Yeah? And all we have to do is accept the fact that he did it for us. Have a repentant heart where we are prepared to stop living for ourselves and now begin to live for Jesus, doing what he calls us to do. I wonder, can we bow our heads? Just be quiet for a second. Is there anybody at all, having been on the safari, having heard 
the way of the Lord into the future and you realize that you're not presently part of God's family. He wants you. He made you the way he likes you. But he wants you to respond to his loving heart. If you want to do that, would you raise a hand? Anybody at all today want to do that? If you're raising a hand, keep it up. All right. Now, if you want to do that, there'll be people up front here at the, as we close. Come and share with them what your decision is. But I wonder, can we stand together and celebrate the wonder of our generous Father? We have 10,000 reasons to worship Him for. He's generous. He's loving. He wants you. And so let's enter in 10,000 reasons to worship Him. Bless you. Thank you so much. Being great to be here. Oh, oh my soul, worship.